Chapter 9, Valley of the Geysers, Kamchatka. Sulphur Valley was located near the eastern coast of Kamchatka Peninsula, among the volcanic ranges of, eastern, of the eastern volcano belt, 240 kilometers northeast of Petropavlos, Kamchatsky. Chuck's, heli Chuck's helicopter was a haze an old Soviet anti-submarine variant of the M8 HIP helicopter, which entered military service in 1967. This Hayes had been retired from military service for over 20 years and needed to be retired for good. The, pi the pilot landed in a little known remote section of Sulphur Valley, 17 miles away from the main section. It was five miles away from Chuck's final destination so that he could make a surreptitious approach to Belkin's compound. Chuck and his guide, Nikolai, jogged away from the helicopter and dropped their packs and weapons in a clearing in a birch forest. Chuck waved to the pilot as the chopper lifted off and soared back to the southwest. He set down his assault rifle leaning it against a rock. Carefully, he put his compound bow next to it, carefully, since three of the arrows had explosive tips. Nikolai kneeled down and laced his boots. Then he slammed a clip into his handgun and chambered around in his M21 Yugoslav rifle. Chuck said, remember, Nikolai, I only need you to get me close. Yeah, but I still need a rifle. Bears and foot patrols. And you can take care of yourself if we meet a foot patrol. I was Russian special forces. Chuck nodded. That's very good. Still, it's not too late to back out. Why would I? I told you the risks. I will be fine. I always say that nothing is difficult if you put your mind to it. I will get you where you want to go. For what you have in mind, however... I cannot be so optimistic. No, my friend, you are the one who should back out. I can't do that. Are you sure? Better to be a live dog than a dead lion. It's not about me, Nikolai. It's about the hostages and their fate. You can't go it alone. I want to help you. These are American hostages. That doesn't matter to me. They could be my brothers and sisters. I appreciate that, Chuck said. I really do. Just get me close, that's all. What's wrong with you, Brent? Don't you trust anyone? I have my reasons. We need to get moving. Holding his compound bow in his hand, he slung his M16 over his shoulder by the strap. He said, you lead. Generally, Chuck's only interest in bows was for survival in extreme situations. While training special forces in survival, he often included a demonstration with bow and arrows because bows were useful for hunting small game for food while creating very little noise and attracting no attention from enemy forces. Years ago in the Comoro Islands in the Indian Ocean, he'd been training French foreign legionnaires in survival and unarmed combat when their camp came under heavy mortar fire. Over a dozen legionnaires were killed and many more wounded. 
wearing ghillie suit camouflage and armed with a compound bow, he'd taken the fight to the terrorists and solved the problem. That was years ago. Chuck practiced critical skills often to keep his edge. Now, as he and Nikolai hiked through a peaceful birch forest, Chuck watched the trees for claw marks and watched the ground for sign. They'd gone barely half a mile when he smelled sulfur. He soon found himself following Nikolai along a steaming creek and walking past volcanic vents that were exhaling sulfur steam. The steam rose out of yellow holes surrounded by white crust. Soon the birch forest thinned out and he was hiking through a valley of varied colors and contours. Stay right behind me, Nikolai said. One wrong step and you'll be neck deep in boiling water. The volcanic, air, the volcanic activity in this area was among the most active in the world, including countless boiling springs and geysers similar to Yellowstone. Chuck had little interest in scenery other than its hidden dangers. He had more important concerns, mainly getting to Belkin's compound. In all likelihood, that's where the dark one, Anton Hench Fowler, was hiding. Chuck had been ordered to either eliminate or capture Fowler because the dark one had a horrific history and had to be terminated. According to the Intel report, Fowler had been on board the hijacked cargo vessel. But Chuck also had to go to Sulphur Valley because the other target, Lenoid Belkin, had too much blood on his hands. He'd murdered close to a dozen Americans just in the last week. He also needed to be terminated. Plus, at least a dozen other men were unaccounted for so far. Chuck thought about what their families must be going through. Somehow he had to find these lost ones and save them. He and Nikolai followed a winding route through a valley with Nikolai in the lead. Their route led them between steaming lakes of brown, muddy water that must have been rich in minerals because deep green moss, lichens, and other low-growing foliage covered the ground. A patch of blue wildflowers grew by one lake. They walked, they walked past wrench in the earth that emitted thick clouds of steam. They followed a ridge that led them up a green hillside. They avoided the steep brown volcanic mountains on both sides of the valley. They'd gone two miles when they came to a narrow steam-filled canyon. Chuck took off his nap cap, his knapsack and leaned his M16 and compound bow against a rock. Hold on a minute, I've got a rock in my boot. Wait here, now. wait here, Nikolai said. I want to scout this out. I'll be back shortly. Chuck didn't drink the water because he didn't need to and because his research had alerted him to the presence of poisonous water in this area. He got rid of the rock in his boot and took a drink from his canteen. Twenty minutes later, he was getting impatient. He didn't want to leave this location because Nikolai had told him to wait. On the other hand, he was starting to worry that something might have happened to his guide. Chuck waited another ten minutes and then decided he needed to look for him. 
Chuck hiked very slowly through a canyon that narrowed until it was a mere gorge between rock walls. There was no trail, so he just climbed over rocks along the steaming stream. Because the gorge was so narrow and there were so many vents and the river itself was steaming, visibility was 10 to 15 feet. This went on for over 150 yards. Then the gorge broke out into another valley. Despite the sulfuric vents and the muddy ponds, the valley was unique and quite beautiful. But Chuck stayed focused on his objective. He figured that even more eels had beautiful patterns, but they could be dangerous. Chuck had learned long ago to never let his guard down. Always be watchful. Always stay alert. Then he picked up fresh sign. It looked like five or six men had passed through. Nikolai was in trouble, all right. Chuck followed the sign. There were no footprints, nothing so obvious. He followed a trail of scuffs, creased and crushed leaves, bruised grass stems, and occasionally part of a footprint. He followed the sign for over a mile to where the valley narrowed again and steam grew so thick that there were areas where he had to walk very slowly to see where he was stepping. Some of the hot springs were boiling mud, and to fall into one of them would be a quick death sentence. Once the edge of a hot spring caved in under his foot, he dove ahead on the narrow pass, on the narrow path and counted his blessings. In many places throughout the valley floor on both sides of the river, the lush ground was striking because it was such a deep, rich color of green. As always, he focused on the sign. He kneeled down occasionally and studied the tracks. He kept moving. Soon he came out of a wall of steam into a stench, a stretch of valley where the steam was limited to a few vents. They blew, hissed and gurgled and made unearthly sounds. One of them whistled in a deep eerie howl as it blew steam skyward. Then it went silent and the breeze cleared out the steam. He hiked on for another hundred yards until the next wall of steam, which was thick, so thick that the river literally vanished into the gloom. As he was approaching the wall of hot, moist fog, he heard something. He wasn't sure what it was, but it was a truly frightening sound that he had heard in the distance. He held his compound bow in his left hand. He stopped and froze in his steps for over a minute. He heard the sound again, a grizzly bear. Chuck could, he could hear it, but couldn't see it due to the thick steam from the river, hundreds, hundreds of little vents. Slowly he walked forward. Visibility was less than 10 feet, but he could see no salmon fighting their way up the creek. Salmon was bear food, and there were none in sight. Plus, any salmon in this river would be pre-cooked. He walked slowly 
one step at a time, his heart rate slightly higher than usual. He was just as aware as he always was. In his life, he was always a hunted animal, but usually the hunter was man. Generally, man was the greater threat, but in this hot, thick fog, the bear could be anywhere. Chuck heard growling again. Closer. He kept walking, but didn't see the bear anywhere. Then he saw a whirlpool in the river. As the steaming water swirled down into a hole in the lava bed, it made a growling sound. That sound and the white water combined to give a creepy effect. He wondered if it could be the sound he'd heard. Chuck took a deep breath and started walking again, a little faster now. Just then, a massive brown bear lumbered out of the steam, a grizzly. It must have weighed over a thousand pounds. When Chuck saw it, it stood up on its hind legs. The bear stood nine feet tall. It looked hostile. Chuck could sense its aggressive demeanor and read the wild look in its eyes. It roared with ferocity. Chuck had never heard before. It roared with fury. The bear dropped down to all fours and rushed towards Chuck. Chuck raised his bow, drew back his arrow and let her fly. The arrow lodged deep into the bear's shoulder and exploded. The explosion vaporized the bear's shoulder and blew off its head. The bear crashed to the ground and some of the blood and gut splattered on Chuck. The concussion wave blew Chuck backwards. He landed on his back and was deeply shaken. He lay there for several minutes. His ears rang. His head throbbed. He was shaking. Slowly he got up and found his M16 10 feet away. The bow was 10 feet past that, hanging over a ledge. The slightest breeze would have tipped it into the river and it would have been lost. He recovered it gently. Removing his pack, he sat down. He stood there for a moment, looking at what was left of a brutal killing machine. He looked at it, but his mind was on the noise he had just made with the explosion. He was trying to guess how far the sound would have carried. On open ground, it certainly would have carried far, but maybe not here. He was walking through a twisting canyon. All of the stone canyon walls around him would have muffled the sound, he thought. River noise factored in, too. That would have muffled the sound, especially since this river ran past where the compound was probably located three miles away. Plus, the river noise at the compound would make it harder for them to hear a distant sound, particularly a muffled one. Problem was, he knew there was also a group of men in the area. Based on a couple of deep tracks he'd seen, he guessed they were probably carrying weapons and supplies. They were on patrol. Chuck could only hope that his cover was not blown, but now he had to be extra cautious. He sat for a couple of minutes, then he got back up and resumed moving forward. Extra worry now. The explosion had been loud, and anyone nearby would have heard it. 
He'd barely gone a couple hundred yards when he heard the voices of men. They spoke in Russian, which Chuck understood. How much further? We're getting close. Be ready for anything. Where the hell was it? The voice said. Explosives or a gunshot? Explosives. I know the difference. Just be quiet. No more voices were heard. The hunt continued. But Chuck guessed he was being hunted by the most deadly predator of all. Highly trained elite soldiers who had hired out to big money. He moved slowly through the steam, holding his M16 ready for action. His bow was slung over his shoulder. Suddenly he heard the sound of something running at him. Chuck lunged out of the way, ducking behind a rock. A grizzly ran past him and vanished into the fog. What's going on? Chuck mumbled under his breath as he stood up. He eased forward. Soon he found why the grizzlies were here. They were feeding on dead men. These were not soldiers or criminals on patrol. They were two of the missing men from the cargo ship. They still wore fragments of torn up and bloody jumpsuits, probably ship's engineers. Belkin's men were slowly getting rid of the evidence of their crimes. Chuck tried not to look at the horrific scene. He moved on slowly. The men he'd heard could not be far away. Then he saw the shape of a gunman in the gloom. 